Welcome to Redemption's podcast. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church, found in Kirkwood, Missouri, in the greater St. Louis area. Before we dive into the content, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay current on all things Redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. To redemption again. To those of you who did not have Cardinals tickets, welcome. So glad that you're here today. And uh, um, again, my name is Corey, lead pastor here at Redemption. And uh, we are in a series right now called Battle Ready. Um, we're in the third week of this series. Week one, we talked about uh, Ephesians chapter one, this idea that you are chosen if you're in Christ, if you've said yes to Christ, you're following him, uh, that you are chosen, you're valued, you're loved, and you're forgiven. And that's a smorgasbord of incredible blessings that Paul says. He says these are the spiritual blessings that abide on our life. Um, the, the second week, last week, we talked about that there are certain people that they just seem to be spiritually uh, powerful people. That like you're around them and, and their power doesn't come from them, uh, you know, showing you their power. But it comes from when the waves hit them in life, they are kind of unwavering. When the, the shakes, you know, should hit them, like they should be, you know, shaking in their boots. Instead, they're not shaking. And so uh, why is that? Well, because they're, they're spiritually powerful people and they find their power in Christ and in Christ alone. Um, and so uh, through that idea, we, we talked about how God's not a God of parlor tricks. He's not a God of, of little snappets or poppets, you know, like around the 4th of July with the kids, the, the little things that come in the sawdust. We talked about that last week. We actually threw some on the stage and some that were adult style. They were really, really loud. And by the way, there's still some burn marks up here. Again, Jubilee, I apologize for that. Um, but we talked about how God isn't even that, but God is, he's dynamite. The, the, the word used um, to describe God is this word uh, dunamis, which is the, the Greek word that we get our word dynamite from, that God is a God that moves mountains. And maybe you're at a place today where you need a mountain moved in your life. And uh, I don't know what God's going to do in that, but, but I, I would love to pray with you and for that because God is a God that does move mountains. And, uh, and so if it's his will, I'd love to pray for that in your life. Um, and uh, today what we're going to do is, is we're going to talk about um, the battles that we face. Again, battle ready. We want to be ready for battle. And the truth is that every one of us, uh, we are facing a battle in our life. And, and I don't know what your battle is, but we're all facing a battle. Maybe for you, the, the battle that you're facing is insecurity. Maybe you're someone who's just really struggling with, with uh, you know, feeling less than. And everybody else around you, you feel like they are better than you. And, and you have this insecurity. Maybe for you it's people-pleasing, that that's your, your idol, that your idol is everybody else, that you, know, you never feel good enough. Um, maybe you have depression or anxiety. The truth is that there's a good portion of America that struggles with anxiety. Maybe you're, you're struggling with that, and that's your battle that you face every day. Uh, maybe for you it's an addiction, and whatever that may look like in your life, whatever that addiction would look like, the, the truth is we're all facing some sort of of battle. I, I, I love this quote. Um, this comes from this really great philosopher named Unknown. I don't know. He's probably one of the Stoics or something, he or she. Uh, I don't know who Unknown is, but they get attributed to a, you know, a lot of, of wisdom uh, sometimes. And so uh, Unknown once said this, said, uh, everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind always. Uh, unknown typically means that it's your brother behind Facebook or something like that or your great aunt. I don't know. Um, but anyway, everyone is facing a battle. They're fighting a battle that you know nothing about. 
So be kind always. And I love that because the reality is that we're all in some sort of battle. We're all facing some sort of battle. Well, you know, there's one way to ensure that you are not going to fight in the battle. And that's if you're dead, right? Yeah. Dead soldiers, this isn't is me being, you know, funny, but just real. Uh, dead soldiers are not battle ready. Dead soldiers are not able to pick up a, a, you know, an arms, a firearm, and fight in the battle. Dead soldiers cannot uh, strategize about the war. They can't take the next step to be battle ready to fight in the battle. Why? Because, because they're dead. It, it sounds like you know, rudimentary and maybe crass, but, but here's my point. My point is, if we're going to be battle ready, we have to be alive. If we're going to be battle ready, we, we have to be alive. Scripture's going to talk about this in a second. But um, one time I was in Chicago... And uh, I hate Chicago's airport, by the way. It's, like, awful. I hate it. Um, more so, I hate, like, the TSA line. It's crazy. There's, I mean, they have, like, 600, you know, feet of, like, frontage space to put TSA. And instead, they kind of compact it in the middle there, if you've ever been there. And um, anyway, it's really bad lines. And people don't understand where the line goes. And then, anyway, uh, it's just crazy. They're always, you know, understaffed and stuff. Now, this is just me griping. But so, anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm in, in Chicago. I'm in the TSA line, and there's this commotion over uh, behind me, kind of to the left. And I look back there, and there's this gentleman in his probably late 50s who's on the ground. Um, his wife, uh, presumably, is, is next to him and a couple others. And they're shouting. They're yelling. I mean, it's like it's a, it's a real commotion. And, um, I mean, it's pretty obvious what happened. The man, he had a heart attack, right? And so they, 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 the EMT is there. They come out with a defibrillator. And, and, and so they're working on him. And, and I'm going through the TSA line. And here's the reality. The reality is I walked through the TSA line. I had to get to my flight. I didn't see what happened to the man. I, I wasn't going to be able to help in any way. But the man was unconscious, right? He was, he was unconscious. I, I don't know if he, I don't know if he uh, made it. I, I don't know if he survived. I don't know if he passed away that day. I don't know. But what I do know is that he was unconscious. And, and, and people who are unconscious, they cannot use the defibrillator on themselves. They can't work on themselves. I, I've never seen someone who's unconscious pick up a tool and just start working on themselves. I've, I've never seen someone who's unconscious, uh, you know, in an in OR room, like I hang out in the operating rooms all the day. But, like, uh, you know, never would someone in the OR room uh, pick up a, a scalpula and, and, and just scalp, scalpula, scalpel, scalpel is a bone. Uh, they don't pick up a scalpel and then just start, start working on themselves. It doesn't happen, right? Uh, because we understand this, that if we are unconscious or if we're dead, uh, we, we can't do anything. We're lifeless. I want you to bring that into what we're going to talk about today. Um, so if, if today we're going to be going back to Ephesians, and, and we, we, we work through the book of Ephesians right now in this, in this series. It's a six-week series. This is week three, and so today we're going to be going to Ephesians chapter two. If you have your physical Bible with you or a digital Bible, this is in the New Testament. And so uh, you have the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then shortly after that, you're going to find Ephesians, a couple, couple books after that. Um, and so I invite you to, to turn to that. Uh, but we're going to go to on the screen as well. Ephesians chapter 2 is what we're going to be in today. We're going to look at verse 1. Um, and it says this. This is what Paul says, okay? Again, not my words, <clears throat> but Paul's words. He says, once you were dead. <laughs> once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So once, at one point in time, like not, not on one occasion, but like at one point in time you were dead. Well, if you were dead, then you're still dead. Unless something happens to you, and we know this, that we serve a God of resurrection. We serve a God that resurrects dead bodies and broken things. 
And so, um, but once you were dead, Paul says, and, and he's saying this to the church in Ephesus, and then also those who are reading it or listening to it afterwards. So us. If you're in Christ, he's, he's writing this to the Christians, uh, one time, at one time you were dead, but why were you dead? He says it's because of our disobedience and our many sins. Because of our disobedience and our many sins. And who do we sin against? Well, Psalm 51 says this. Um, King David wrote this after he uh, had an affair with Bathsheba. And, and he, he says this. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. So David is writing this and he's saying, God, um, uh, he, he's not writing this to Bathsheba. He's writing this to God. He's saying, God, against you, you only. You're, you're the only one that I've sinned against. Our disobedience against God is what brought us death. Not our, our disobedience against someone else or ourselves, but our disobedience against God. And here's the thing. God is the arbiter. I, I need you to hear this. God is the arbiter of what is right and wrong. He's the decider. He's, he's the arbiter of this, right? Um, he's the one who sets the standards, the moral standards, and then we are the one that often break it, or we do break it. Um, I break it every day. Uh, you do too. <laughs> um, and so he's the one that sets it, and we break it. And, and, and I was talking to someone the other day, and we were talking about just kind of this idea of, of atheism and this, this disbelief in God. That, and, and by the way, an, an atheist would say that I don't believe in God at all. An agnostic would say that I, I believe in a God or a form of God, but I just don't know exactly what that is. And, and, and God, you know, in his infinite uh, wisdom and power and, you know, omnipotence and all this stuff, he, he hasn't uh, shared that with me yet, right? So that's what an agnostic would say more so. But an atheist, what's really interesting, I was talking to someone the other day, and I was talking about atheism and how um, I, I actually don't believe that there are any real true atheists in this world. I really believe that. Um, and one of the reasons that I believe that is because I think that when somebody, <clears throat> when somebody decides that, hey, I'm an atheist, uh, what, what they're ultimately saying is that I'm the moral arbiter. That I decide for myself what is right or wrong. Nobody else decides for me. God doesn't decide for me. I decide. Uh, what am I going to do next in life? Well, I'll decide that. Uh, what, um, you know, like, how am I going to live my life or whatever, like, the next things, uh, the meaning of life, uh, you know, deciding the system of belief that I would ascribe to, like, I'll decide all of that. And what they're doing is they're taking God off of a pedestal, and then they're, they're putting themselves on that pedestal. Um, they're, they're saying, I'll decide all these things. And so then they become the arbiter of all these things, right? So I just don't believe that there really are atheists um, in the truest sense, because they then become their own God. They place themselves in the position of God. We believe at redemption, we believe that what Christians have believed for 2,000 plus years, that God decided a long time ago exactly what the world is going to go, like how it's going to go. He decided, you know, what is morally right and wrong. He decided the system of belief that Christianity would look like and should look like. And, and, and here's the deal, like when we, when we consider Christianity, it's this, that we're the receivers of this truth. We're not the creators of this truth. You can't create your own Christianity, right? Um, this isn't like, you know, back in the day we had, and I, I'm sure they still do, uh, the whole like choose your own adventure books, right? Um, like this is not choose your own adventure. Um, th this is something that either you ascribe to what Jesus says or you don't. But it's our sins and our disobedience uh, that, that, that has, has led us to this death. Um, back before I, I planted this church, I worked at a, a different church in town called The Journey. And I was, I was there for five years and um, loved working there. But there was one thing that really irritated me all the time. Um, we had old pipes in the building. And um, so we had this really big pipe. 
and it was, it was made out of iron, and, uh, and it was corroded. And it ran from our bathrooms, okay? There were like these two stacks, right? Like one, you know, in the, in the men's and one in the women's, right? And, and, and they ran down into this big pipe, this big iron corroded pipe. And then that pipe ran all the way through our basement out to the city drain, okay? So here's the problem. Because it was actually so corroded, it was caved in at certain junctions of this pipe. Um, come Christmas and Easter, when we had big attendance, you know, at Sundays, um, always that bathroom would overflow, literally always. And some people were at redemption, or sorry, some people were at the journey, and they're like shaking their heads, going, "Yeah, I remember that." Like, you know, your kids were like, "I really got to go," and like, "Sorry, you know, we got to drive over to McDonald's or something." I don't know, but like the bathroom is shut down, okay. And what that resulted in is this: it resulted in your boy over here uh, rolling his pants up. And uh, yes, this is a Christmas in December 24th, 2017, Christmas Eve. Um, and I put on these big old, uh, you know, rubber boots and uh, started mopping up some toilet water and squeegeeing uh, the toilet water. It's disgusting. It's so gross. But like every holiday, they were like, like literally the staff meeting before that holiday, they're like, Corey, you got your rubber boots ready? Yes, I do. Let's go, right? Uh, the first time they tried to punk me and just tell me to go do it without any rubber boots or whatever. And I was like, guys, I got wingtips on. What are we talking about over here? And they're like, get in there. Come on, champ. And I'm like, no way. Are you kidding me? And, and uh, so then I got smart and I was like, I'm going to Amazon and I'm getting a certain, you know, toilet survival kit over here. So anyway, I just bought a bunch of stuff and, and took care of it every time it happened. But here's the thing. Um, our, our life, the disobedience and sin that's in our life is a lot like this. It's a lot like this pipe that is corroded. And what happens is, eventually sin corrodes. It breaks down. It breaks down the things in our life, and all of a sudden, water starts backing up into our life. And you're standing in it. But eventually, that the way that sin works, just like this pipe, this broken pipe, it's not just you standing in it, but it's everybody around you that are standing in the water from the toilet, the disobedience and the sin of your life. And you're standing in it, and it's uncomfortable, right? Not only are your shoes wet, not only is your life wet, but it's like disgustingly wet. Because of the things that are happening all around you, the things that, that quite frankly, we have done. And then, as we're standing there in that, in the disobedience and the sin, it starts to smell, right? And, and, and it's not just you that's smelling it, but everybody around you, they see it, they smell it. And then shame sets in, and you're like, man, I caused this. I did this. Like, what, what do I do? Because everybody knows, it's, I can't, can't neglect it, I can't, can't call serve pro right now, like, everybody sees this, they're in it with me, they're around it, they're touching it, it's gross. And so this is the disobedience and the sin that is in our life, Paul is giving us this idea that disobedience and sin has caused us death and it's brought destruction into our life. We're all standing in it, feet wet, and here's the thing, you can't clean it up yourself, <laughs> Like as much as you want, as much as you want to, on, on Christmas Eve 2017, there was nothing I could have really done to really clean it up. Uh, what we had to do after every holiday was call ServPro, <laughs> have them come out and clean it and, and, and put some dehumidifiers up. And, and eventually, we bit the bullet and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever to, to fix this. It's crazy. But just like this, we get stuck in it and we don't know what to do. And maybe you're there today. Paul continues, and he says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. He says, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. I had this conversation um, this past week in a Bible study, and we're talking about Satan, and, 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 and the question was, uh, they asked me, they said, how, do you, how, like, how does your congregation deal 
with the idea of Satan. And I said, well, you know, we, we believe in Satan. We believe that's, you know, the devil's real. But I think the, when it comes down to it, I think the world, most of the world, I think they think that it's kind of this boogeyman figure, right? Like, if we say that there's a boogeyman underneath the bed, then our kids won't get out and ask us for a glass of water. So if we say that Satan is real and he's going to destroy your life and you're going to end up being, you know, a meth addict and a prostitute or whatever, like, we say that that's the thing, then our people, then our people will just be good. They'll, they'll just be moral people. But, but I said the reality is, like, our church, we believe in the devil because Scripture says that, it's, says that he's real and says that, says that there's this, this kind of this, this force. We're going to talk about this in the last week. Um, that that our, our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers of darkness and, you know, uh, Satan himself. So he says, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander and the powers of the unseen world. Again, there you go. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. But here's the thing, like, we were all there, every one of us. If you're sitting in here and if you're following Jesus today, you were there. That was your heart. Like, some of you not that long ago. Like, you were there, and you were like, yes, like, I'm going to obey the devil. Now, whether you realized it or not, you were there, and your concerns were different. Uh, and, and maybe your concerns were mild. Maybe, maybe you, were, you were concerned about the putting greens, right? condition of those more than the condition of your heart. Maybe you were, you know, more concerned about how your stocks were performing rather than how you were becoming more holy. Maybe you were more concerned about getting an award, uh, you know, at work or whatever than getting treasures uh, in heaven. I, today, uh, Lucas and I were kind of joking on, on um, uh, Brad. So Brad Alsop had, had tickets to the cards game, and he's like, I said, hey, how was it, you know, being there? And he's always oh, incredible. He left early to come play base here, which was like unreal. And, uh, and so he goes, yeah, as soon as I left, Pujols homered. <laughs> he hit a homer as soon as I left. And, uh, and, and Lucas goes, he goes, well, you know what? You're building up treasures in heaven, buddy, you know? Um, but, but the truth is that sometimes, like, we're more concerned about, uh, you know, the awards and the things that we get on this earth rather than the awards and the things that we get in heaven. But we were all there. We, we, all cons- we were all like that at one point. And then he continues in verse 3. He says, um, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. There's a couple translations that says that we were under God's wrath. I think that's a better way for us to read this and understand it. That there was a time that you were under God's wrath. I think, I think that sometimes we feel this before we come to Christ. We, we feel, we have this feeling like, I just feel like God might be against me. I, I feel like God is coming down on me and, uh, and I'm like fighting this, this cosmic battle almost with life and it's like God's on the other side. I'm here to say maybe. Because scripture is clear that we were under his wrath at one point. There's a lot of wrath that I don't want to be under, most wrath. I don't think there's any wrath I want to be under. But I definitely don't want to be under God's wrath. So scripture says that we're under God's wrath uh, before we follow him. Uh, do you know anybody, uh, any husband who's forgotten their wife's birthday? <laughs> uh, this is a brutal sight to see, by the way. Uh, I've seen it before, and, um, and it's never been like, you know, like the 30th or the 40th or the 50th birthday. But, but uh, you know, like just a, if they forgot a birthday, it's a b- bad deal. What's interesting about this is they're under the wrath of their wife at this point, but they're ignorant to it. 
right? Like the day's going on. It's like, it's like 10 a.m. And it's worse now because we have cell phones. Like, you know, you got to text, right? And, uh, and, and so, you know, it's 9 a.m., it's 10 a.m., it's 11 a.m. And she's like, nothing's on Instagram. <laughs> nothing's on Facebook. Not today, you know? Uh, like he better remember, right? And then he gets home and he's talking about all, you know, his day and all the stuff. And she's like, this sack of bones totally forgot. He forgot it was my birthday. And, uh, and then the day goes on and, you know, hey, what are we going to do for dinner tonight? And then she erupts, right? Well, what do you have planned, right? It's my birthday. But the thing is, he was under her wrath the whole day and he was ignorant to it. He had no clue until it hit him and then he has to really make it up, right? And the reality is that, like, when we are under God's wrath, it's very similar that we don't know. Like, if, 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 you don't, if you don't know, if, if you're not following Christ, like, you're under his wrath and you don't even realize it. This is the picture that we get. And so uh, there's a lot of things I would want to be under when it comes to God. His wrath is not one of them, but I would love to be under his blessing. I would love to be under his mercy and his compassion, his kindness, and his goodness towards me. Like, if, if God is real, if he is, okay, like, if, if you don't believe in God or you don't believe in Yahweh, you know, the, the Christian God, Jesus Christ, if you don't believe in him, like, just play along with me for a second here. Um, if he is real, like, what are the things of him, if he's all-knowing and, and all-powerful and, and all these things, uh, what are the things of, of his that you would want to be under, you want to be under his blessing, and you want to be under his, his, his happiness and joy and mercy and kindness and, and goodness for your life. But you definitely don't want to be under his wrath. But scripture says that we're under his wrath. And, and here's, here's, a, here's a question. Um, if, if we were once dead, uh, then, then that means that, that, that we, we could be alive. Now, Paul's talking about this. You were once dead. Well, if I was once dead, then the opposite of dead is what? It's, it's alive, right? Um, the, the opposite of up is down. The opposite of east is west, right? So like, so what is the opposite of dead? Well, it's alive. And so Paul's saying, hey, you were once dead. Well, if I was once dead, then, then, not, then you're talking to me right now as a Christian, I'm alive. But how do I know? How do you know if you're alive? Well, um, recently I had this, uh, uh, I, I had a meeting at the Chamber of Commerce and uh, it was for an ambassador. I'm an ambassador with the Chamber of Commerce. If you want to join the Chamber of Commerce, let me know. And uh, I'll get you all signed up, um, and, uh, or I'll direct you to the person who can. And so I, I had this meeting for the ambassadors, and, and I pulled up, uh, and I parked my motorcycle. I was riding my motorcycle. I pulled up, and I, I backed it in there, and there was like two or three people that were walking in. They were like, hey, love your bike. And I was like, oh, thanks so much. You know, I was blushing. I was like smiling so big I could eat a banana sideways. Uh, that's what Zig Ziglar used to say. And, uh, and so I pull up there. I'm so excited. You know, people are like, oh, great bike, you know, great bike. And I was like, yeah, you know, you know. And, uh, and, and so I'm like, you know, taking it all in. I took my helmet off and put it, put it on my, on my uh, handlebar. And, and, uh, and, and I took my gloves off and put them in, in, in my bag and all this stuff and put a hat on. And I go to walk into the Chamber of Commerce office. I get in there and uh, I come out. And I saw my headlight on, and I was like, crap. <laughs> it's totally a dead battery. For sure. My battery is dead. For sure. And uh, so I go over there. I, you know, try, try to turn it on. I, I hit the ignition. Nothing. Like, not a sound. Dead. Nothing. It's not moving. Nothing's happening. I don't carry jumper cables on my bike. And so I'm like, how, and I've never done this before. I've never jumped a motorcycle. So uh, I go into the office, and I said, hey, does anybody have 
jumper cables because your boy <laughs> killed his bike. And uh, my friend Lori Given, who's here tonight, she said, uh, I do. They're in my Jeep. And I was like, great. Uh, I said, can you help me? And she's like, yeah. And my other friend, Christy, she goes, hey, I'm going to pull up my car right next to you. Let me help you out. So, so Lori's there. Christy's there. I, I, I pop the seat off the bike. And I'm like, okay, there's the battery terminal and all this stuff. And, and so they're like, have you done this before? I'm like, no, but how, how hard could it be? It's be easy, right? So I grab the cables and I connect them. It's kind of hard to get them connected, by the way, on a bike. It actually is. Um, so if you ever, like, you know, I don't know, if you get a motorcycle one day and it dies or something, I'll help you out. So anyway, I, I, I finally get it connected. And uh, I was like, all right, Lori, start, or, uh, uh, Christy, I was like, Christy, start the, start the car. So she starts it, and I was like, uh, it's not working, you know? And, uh, and she's like, well, is it connected, right? And I'm like, is it, is, of course it's connected, right? Are you kidding me? Uh, yeah, I, I got this, right? I was a Boy Scout. Okay, so I'm like, yes. And she goes, okay, well, uh, maybe we should give it some more time. I'm like, yeah, 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 just give it more time. Yeah, 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 more time. It'll, it'll fix it more time. So we sit there, we're like talking about, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Whatever, what are we doing? What are your plans? Cool. What's, uh, you got meetings today? Awesome. Cool. Sorry I'm taking up all your day. This is awful. Uh, I go to start it again. Nothing. Nothing. And it's at this point where I'm like, I know I'm right. I know it. Like, I know that I have this right. So then I, I go to YouTube. I start watching videos. And the videos are like, no, no, Corey Ball, you have it right. That's right. You're, you're totally right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm right, right, right. And so, like, I'm like, guys, I don't know. The, the, the bike is it's broke or so. I don't know. And so then I'm like, hey, you know what, I, I'm just going to go on some more YouTube videos. I go on, you know, watch more videos. And what I realize is the negative end, that's the black one, right? That's the, that's the one where you have to, like, connect it to metal. I did, okay, right? But I connected it to painted metal. Turns out, I didn't know this, uh, you can't do that. It has to be metal to metal. There can be no paint in between there. And so what was happening was I was working so hard to start up this bike my way. And I was like, no, no, I, I'm convinced. I got it right. Like, I, I have this figured out. I, I'm here. Like, it's working, whatever. But, but, but it didn't matter because there was no evidence. There's no evidence that I had it right. And so uh, once the bike finally uh, was connected, it immediately, what happened? The headlight became brighter. Uh, there was a sound in the ignition immediately. The gauges went, right? And then the moment that I hit the ignition, it fired up. It was great. But the whole time, I thought I was right. I was convinced I was right, and I was wrong. And so many times, we're like this. And, and so, so how do we know, how do we know if we're regenerated in Christ? Well, he, here are some things. Uh, someone will uh, want to know God. Like, I didn't want to know God until God did something in my heart. I didn't care about God. I didn't care about the things that God cared about. I didn't care about the things that scripture talks about. But someone will want to know God. There's going to be a desire there that he, that he or she wants to know God. Uh, when they sin, they're going to feel conviction. When they sin, they're going to go, you know what, like, I was wrong. I was wrong here, and I, I, this has to be made right. And, and they're going to find a way to reconcile. Scripture calls us ministers of reconciliation. That if you are a Christian, there shouldn't be broken relationships between you as, as, as far as you can can handle as far as it, you know, pertains to you. That there were ministers of reconciliation. So when, when I'm wrong, I feel conviction and I want to make it right. And then uh, Chris, he was talking about the fruits of the Spirit. Like we want to grow in those things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that Scripture says that we as Christians are ruled by. That our lives should look this way. And if your life doesn't look that way, and if you don't have the conviction when you sin, and if you don't want to know God, I think the question you have to ask yourself is maybe 
maybe I don't know God. Maybe I'm still dead in my sins. And what does that look like to then follow God? Okay, so, so far, this is what Paul said. <laughs> he said that we're dead. He said we're doomed. He said we're subject to God's anger and we're under God's wrath. All right, welcome to church. Glad you're here. Uh, you're like, hey, I turned down Cardinals tickets for this. Awesome, right? But here's the thing. Like, we will never fully understand the good news until we understand the bad news. You can't fully understand the good news until we understand the bad news. And so um, what is uh, the bad news? Well, we already have that. So what's the good news, okay? Hopefully at this point you're like begging for something good. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says this. He says, but God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much. And even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only, I need you to hear that, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Um, you know, no other world religion begins those sentences by but God, but instead they begin them by but you. Let, let me show you. The Buddhists would say this. They would say, but you can cease from your desires. The Hindus would say, but you can detach your ego and find unity with divine oneness. Muslims would say, but you can have a life, you can live a life of good deeds in obedience to Allah, and that will save you. New Age would say, uh, but you can gain a new perspective which you, see, uh, uh, which you see that you are the divine, that you are, and the divine is in you, your enlightenment will be your salvation. See, all the world religions around us would say, but you can handle this, but you can take care of this. But, but God is here going, you can't do anything. Like you are unconscious, on the ground, by TSA, surrounded by people who love you, who are trying to help you. And, and, and the reality is, in the gospel, they can't do anything. Like your spouse can't save you. Your parents can't save you. Your children can't save you. Only Jesus. That's it. That's the gospel. The only Jesus. It says that it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. It's by him. It's his grace. What is grace? Grace is the undeserved favor of God. You don't deserve it, and neither do I. Paul says uh, here that uh, before we are made alive in Christ, we were all dead because of our sins, our disobedience. Um, and I think that whether you're spiritual in some sense or an atheist or agnostic, I think that you knew, uh, you know or you knew that God is real. Uh, Psalm chapter 14 verse 1 says this. It says, only fools say in their heart there is no God. This past, uh, past week, I was meeting with a friend of mine, and she's in her 50s, and, and uh, she said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about your church, and I'm, I'm curious about your view of Christ and, and just kind of what you think, and, and I said, man, I would love to tell you about that. So we sat down, and we talked for an hour and a half about Jesus. At the end of that, by the way, she goes, hey, can we meet again, and can, can, can we talk more about these thoughts, because I'm really intrigued, and I want to hear more which is huge. Um, I've been praying for this person for, for a long time. and um, So anyway, join me. I'm not going to share their name. I would never do that, but uh, just join me in praying for this person. But as I'm sitting there talking um, to her, uh, she says, you know, I, I just say, hey, just share with me a little bit about what it was like to grow up in, in your house and in your life. And um, she said, before I, I, I tended to my spirit, is how she put it. Before I tended to my spirit and I thought of anything spiritual. Um, she said, I, um, I would tell people that I didn't believe in God. She goes, that was a lie. I totally believed in God. But the problem was I believed in a holy God. And I was like, yeah, it doesn't sound like a problem to me. It sounds like the truth. 
And she goes, the problem, though, is, she goes, I understand, but the problem is this. I believed in a holy God, and I believe in a holy God, and this is what I believe. I believe that I screwed up so badly that there's no way that a holy God would love me. That, that, that I screwed up so badly, I've sinned so badly, that God's not going to want anything to do with me, so I beat him to the punch. And I said, you know what, I don't, I don't believe in him. And I don't want anything to do with him. And I think that many of us were there. I, I think that many of us have that feeling or had that feeling of, I'm just going to beat God to the punch. Because there's no way he'll ever love me, there's no way he'll ever accept me, and so uh, I'm just not going to have anything to do with him. Scripture says we were all dead in our sins, but God. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. Love that. A lot of things in my life I want to take credit for. Uh, this morning we had a staff quarterly. Uh, we were planning the, the winter quarter for redemption. By the way, super excited about things that are coming up. And, uh, um, you know, at the beginning of the meeting of the staff quarterly, uh, we love one another deeply and on the staff and we honor each other. We just spend some time uh, just, just gassing each other up, you know, just building each other up. Hey, you're doing a great job at this. I'm proud of you for this and all these things. And, um, and, uh, and so anyway, we, th- this is what we're doing. And, but these things that we were sharing this morning with one another, like we earn those things. They're accolades, right? Like people around us are seeing that hard work and seeing the, those things grow. Um, but that's not what it's like with your salvation. You did nothing to, to win this. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. There's nothing. There's nothing you could ever do to take credit for this. Why? Because it is a gift from God. It's a gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Have you ever been to a birthday party before? Uh, Specifically an adult birthday party. Um, Which, by the way, let me say this about uh, adult birthday parties. Um, They're super weird. Um, I, they're weird. Uh, I mean, I think kids' birthday parties are weird too, but at least there's cake and, you know, sugar rushes and like, I don't know, like pin the tail on, on, you know, some other kid cause they never hit the donkey or whatever. Right. But like, but my, my, my point when it comes to, um, adult birthday parties is I always get caught up when they ask me, uh, or, or, or when like gifts, like, it's like, do you bring a gift? Do you not bring a gift? They typically say, you know, like adults who throw their own birthday party, which again, weird. Uh, if you do that, it's fine. Just enjoy your stuff. But, um, but and invite me. I'll, I'll come and hang out with you. But anyway, what, what's funny though is like at the adult birthday parties, they're like, um, uh, hey, don't bring gifts. Okay, so do I really not bring a gift? Because if I don't bring a gift and somebody else brings a gift, then I just look cheap, right? But then if I bring a gift and nobody else does, like Corey can't follow instructions, right? So um, I always get caught up in that. It's weird. Just like let's admit it. It's awkward. It's weird. And then like, where do, like what do you do? Do you go to uh, you know a cards game? Do you go to uh, you, you know axe throwing or I don't know like uh, top golf or whatever? Like what do you do? Um, it's just interesting. Um, and, and then if you do bring a gift, by the way, what what do you bring? Like do you bring like um, you know, a bar of soap, right? Like here's, here's, a, here's a big old bar of soap, you know, whatever. Do you, do you bring like a, a bottle of whiskey? Do you bring a, you know, a, a new mower blade? Because it'd be really cool for this guy to have a sharp mower blade. I don't know, but it's just weird, right? For kids, it's this. It's like you show up and there's a cake and um, there's music. There's pin the tail on, you know, the other kid because they never hit the donkey. Uh, it's Avengers or unicorn, uh, unicorn decorations. And it's a pool and that's it, right? It's all, okay, anyway. So, uh, uh, yeah, adult birthdays, weird. Um, what was I saying? There's a reason I was talking about adult birthdays. Um, it's all very strange to me, and it's a cultural thing. Uh, what do we do with adult birthdays? It's odd. 
Uh, I'm going to get there. Just give me a second. Yeah. Okay, so um, so anyway, uh, maybe you're at this adult birthday party, and, and, and this, this, you know, person, they just got their really cool new lawnmower blade. And have you ever looked at them and said, like, how'd you do it? Come on, man. <laughs> share, share the secret. Come on. Like, what's the trick? Wow. They just gave you that? A brand new lawnmower blade? Like, ooh. Ooh, you could shave with that thing. It's sharp. Wow. But how? Tell me your secret. Come on. Are you going to get more of these? Wow. Does this happen every year? Whoa. How'd you do it? No, no, no. You don't do that, right? Because we understand gifts. Like, we, we, we get how it is. It's crazy because every year at our birthday, we get a gift for doing nothing. Like, you didn't even birth yourself. You didn't do that. You didn't do anything that led up to the birthing, right? You did nothing, okay? There's nothing you did to be born. It just happened. It was a miracle between God and the, and the participation of your parents. That's it. And, and so what's crazy about this is we get gifts every year for eating food, drinking water, staying in some sort of shelter, getting some sleep, and then returning the next day and doing it 365 days. Like we we're fully benefiting ourselves by staying alive, and yet we get a gift every year. It's crazy. But, but here's the thing. Gifts are undeserved. They're undeserved. There's nothing you could have done to get your birthday gift. You couldn't be cooler and we'll just give you more gifts. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but, 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 you know, people that are not that cool still get gifts. Okay? There's nothing you could have done because here's the deal. That salvation, it's not a job. It's a gift. Because jobs involve wages. They involve salaries. They involve uh, uh, contracts. When you work, you put in a certain amount of effort and you receive a wage or a salary. But that's not how gifts work. We say this at Redemption. We say that salvation, is, uh, salvation isn't a game uh, that some people win or some people lose, but it's a, it's a gift that some people receive and some people refuse. And if it was your birthday and you had the opportunity to receive a gift and you refused it, you're a fool. You're just foolish, right? They're giving you a gift free to you. And this is what Christ has done for us. Now the question is this, now what? Now what? If, if we have this blessing in Christ, what does that look like? Now what? What do you do with it? Now what? I have God's mercy. Now what? I'm alive in Christ. Now what? I'm chosen by God. Good for you. Now what? I'm valued by God. That's great. Good for you. God loves me. Okay? Now what? He forgave me for my sins. Great. Now what? Now what? Like how do you live your life now? As we wrap up, Ephesians 2.10 says this. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. Did you feel like a masterpiece this morning when you woke up? I woke up and I was like, mm, I'm a masterpiece. No, we don't feel that way half the time. But scripture says that we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. I like how the ESV says it. By the way, we typically read by the, from the NLT. It's easier to understand and it's very accurate, but it's easier to understand. But um, I like how the ESV says it. it. says it this way. It says, for we are his workmanship. I love that because uh, a masterpiece, it, it, it doesn't just happen, right? We're his workmanship. He worked on us. He worked on you. He crafted you. He's an artisan, and you are his project. 
It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Like you were created for good works, and he prepared those things beforehand. Before what? Well, in, in Ephesians 1, it talks about beforehand, that word talks about before the, the world was formed. Like God set aside good things for you to do before the world was formed. But this is what I love. In the ESV, it says this. It says that we should walk in them that you should walk in them, that you should live your life in these good things. And I love that Paul, uh, when we ask this question, okay, Paul, but now what? He gives us the general that you were created for good works, but he doesn't give you the specifics. And so what that means is that you get to decide, along with the Holy Spirit, like you you and him, right, like in unison, you get to decide what those good, good, good deeds are in your life. For me, redemption, like here, I'm living in one of these good things in my life. Like God prepared this. Now, this isn't like, I'm not saying this is my church. This is God's church. I'm not saying I'm not taking any credit for it. What I'm saying is that God decided a long time ago, there's going to be a church in St. Louis called Redemption, and I'm going to prepare someone, Corey Ball, to start it and launch it. And whatever happens with it, I'm walking in this good deed. This is what God prepared for me. And how do I know? There's a couple reasons we're going to get to them in a second, but I feel alive at redemption. And, uh, and so what are the good things in your life? What are, what are the things that, that God has prepared for you that, that you should walk in them? And when do you feel alive? How do you know? How do you know, like, hey, is that a good thing? Is it a God thing or is it just a good thing, right? Is it God's good thing or is it just a good thing? So here are three, three ways, okay, real quick. I mean, real quick, is the last thing. If you're questioning, is this thing, is this good thing a God good thing? Uh, number one, it's Christ-centered, not merely good. There's a lot of good things you can do out there. Go rescue some puppies, you know? Like, get the ones with one eye and, and three legs, maybe five legs. That'd be weird, right? Normally, if they're broken, they come with three legs, not five. But maybe, have, you know, maybe they come with five sometimes, I don't know. But go rescue puppies. Hang out with them, right? Go tutor some kids. Those are good things. But are they God good things? I don't know. Is it Christ-centered, not just merely good? Okay, number two, it's building God's kingdom primarily, not just yours. Because let's face it, there are a lot of good things. You do them and you're like, man, I feel, I feel good and my kingdom is getting built. I'm getting money. I'm getting recognition. I'm getting fame. But is it building God's kingdom primarily, not yours? And the third thing is this, um, it's a work that you cannot accomplish without the Spirit. <laughs> you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. So what is that for, for you? Have you found that yet? And if not, let's talk about it. I'd love to help discern that for you and with you. Um, but if we're going to be a church that is living in the spiritual blessing of Christ, if we're going to be a church that is on the move with Christ, fulfilling his kingdom, fulfilling his mission and, and seeing his kingdom grow, uh, what does that look like for us? Uh, well, those things are going to be Christ-centered, not just merely good. They're going to be building God's kingdom primarily, not just ours. It's going to be a work that we can't accomplish apart from the Holy Spirit. So whatever that is for your life, um, collectively, let's, let's pray through that and, and let's see what God does with us. But we want to be alive in Christ and if we're going to be battle ready, we can't be dead soldiers because dead soldiers, they don't fight, they don't strategize, they don't win the war. But if you are alive in Christ, you're on the battlefield and we need you to be battle ready. So next week we're going to talk more about being battle ready.